Before we start, if you could say your first and last name to make sure I pronounce it right and give your pronouns, that would be great. Yes, so Rada Modgill and she, her. Hello and welcome to Shelf Healing, UCL's bibliotherapy podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Markwick. Our guest today is Dr. Rada Modgill. Dr. Rada is a practicing NHS GP, broadcaster and campaigner for well-being. She is the medical expert for BBC Radio 1 show Life Hacks and is the co-presenter of the Life Hacks podcast. Dr. Rada has appeared across many television channels, including the BBC, ITV and Channel 5, as well as broadcasting across the BBC radio channels. Dr. Rada writes for magazines and has contributed to books supporting young people and parents. She has a particular interest in young people's health and has campaigned for the BBC, Public Health England, Mind and the British Heart Foundation. Dr. Rada is also now working with the National Association for Social Prescribing. First question to get us started is nice and easy. Do you feel that reading is therapeutic? Oh, I love that question. And yes, absolutely. In, in so many ways, actually. So not only does reading help us kind of take ourselves away from our mind, from our worries, it kind of transports us into a whole new world, a whole new set of characters, a whole new set of challenges. So that that in itself is obviously really beneficial because, you know, especially this year, you know, when we've had lots of uncertainty, lots of anxiety, just to be taken away for a short period of time has been really helpful for our mental health, I think, and our emotional well-being. Also, just so many other layers. So I think, you know, in every story, there are parts of yourself that you can see within that story, challenges that you might have been through that you can relate to in terms of that character and how they're feeling. And so actually by reading about that character, by reading their story and following their story, I think subconsciously and also sometimes consciously, we can recognise that sense in ourselves and we can almost work through and start to process some of the challenges or some of the difficulties that we might be having in our lives through that character and through their journey, wherever that leads to. And I think also when we when we either read a book or actually also when we write, you know, we try to write, that again just helps us get all of those thoughts and feelings out on paper gives us that mental space but it also is another it's a sort of stepping stone in that process of understanding ourselves a bit more processing what's happening to us and actually hopefully moving forward with steps to kind of come out the other side or to come to a conclusion or to move forward with a solution so in so many ways I think reading is just fantastic and I absolutely love it I always have (laughs) So what kind of books do you reach for when you want to relax or improve your mental well-being? So I absolutely love books that are totally unrelatable to the real world. <laughs> so I I really want to be taken away from reality when I read a book. So um so fantasy novels, things like Lord of the Rings, Philip Pullman's books, um I absolutely love the Northern Lights trilogy, for example. Those kind of books really just make me feel so happy because I'm taken away in something magical, something that I don't, can't really sort of see in real life. And so it really gives me that mental break. Um, but also I, I love sort of magical books. I love mystery. I don't want to know uh, sort of facts and figures. I want to just literally be taken into a world where I can use my own imagination. And imagination actually is a really interesting thing because 
we can use our imagination to to feel fearful and to worry and to get anxious with all those kind of what if thoughts but actually we can also use our imagination to create a world a vision perhaps an outcome to a situation that is a positive outcome. So I sometimes think, well, you know, why not use our imaginations not just to worry, but also to create a kind of vision, a kind of idea around what might happen or what could come in the future. And I think hope is also very much related to imagination, to visions, to solution finding. So as we all know, hope is such an important daily tool, especially this year that we've needed to use. So yeah, any anywhere that's imagination is, please take me there when I'm reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> are there any works that you return to over and over again like comfort food but a book so I I'm also probably a little bit unusual in that I don't really like uh, reading adults books as in I, I actually really like reading sometimes getting back to those kind of classics that I read when I was little or I was growing up so for example some of those are Roald Dahl's books, which I absolutely loved as a child. So I love going back sometimes and reading Boy or Danny the Champion of the World or, you know, Matilda or something like that. Because I think Roald Dahl was such a great author in so many ways. But I think his real power for me was about his authenticity. So he treated his readers as... Oh, they're, they're children and sometimes we treat, treat children as though they don't know things we have to protect them from certain things and obviously we do to a degree but Roald Dahl was really clear in that he a lot of his characters had had difficult things happening to them in their lives they had lost parents for example they hadn't had the nicest of lives and instead of sugarcoating that for children he just told it as it was so I really love his authenticity I also absolutely love his imagination his humour his characters, I just, yeah. So, so I think Roald Dahl, uh, Roald Dahl's books are the ones that I would tend to go back to as well. So yeah, everyone loves a bit of Roald Dahl. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get away from Roald Dahl. He's absolutely fine. And his adult books as well are really brilliant. So he you know, tells of the unexpected, just some fantastic plot twists in those, like really, really clever stuff and quite dark stuff as well because of dark kind of things, sort of stories or short stories, which also I really, really like. So I think those kind of books but also there are on the other side of it I do actually really like understanding and and kind of growing and learning a bit more about myself so the other categories of books that I do tend to go back to are perhaps more self-development type books so for example I absolutely love um, Eckhart Tolle who wrote The Power of Now and A New Earth I love books by Oprah Winfrey I love poetry by Maya Angelou so I love those kind of books that really sort of nourish your soul they kind of help you remember what's important the little strategies that are helpful in day-to-day life but they're also really inspirational and I love reading about people's lives their experiences what life has taught them and there's an amazing collection by Oprah Winfrey which I think is called What I Know For Sure and on each page she talks about a, a particular lesson from her life and experience that she went through and I absolutely love learning from other people how they dealt with challenges and difficulties so that's on the kind of other end of the spectrum from the imaginative type books. You have a particular interest in well-being particularly in regards to young people what drew you to this area? Very good question so I think when I was when I was little and growing up in school I think I was always probably the one to 
stand up for people who are being bullied or to make sure people were okay. I, I was you know, quite a kind child, I would hope, <laughs> I think people have told me. So I think that was always probably in my nature. I think as I, as I kind of got older, I uh, you know, experienced some of my friends perhaps having difficulties with their mental health or struggles in their lives. And I think that also interested me. And then when I started, obviously as a doctor, I see obviously patients having gone through difficult things and challenges. So that also is another element. Then when I went into broadcasting and my media work, I um, started, first of all, with a BBC Three programme and then obviously on Radio One. And through that work with young people and that audience, just so many incredible young people in terms of how they've got through difficult things in their life or different challenges, but also just the camaraderie of that age group as well the amount of of support that they want to give each other and and just how important it is you know to me I'm quite a simplistic person (laughs) but um to me the foundation of everything really starts with our mental and emotional well-being and if we get that as a kind of a solid basis solid foundation and if we put time and we invest in that for children at school and young people, then actually, yes, life will still be challenging. Challenges will still come, but at least there'll be a better chance of that young, young person actually being able to manage that, being, being able to feel like they can ask for help, like they're not alone. I think that is the foundation of everything. And if we don't get that right, then we can't expect people to thrive and to be part of you know, society and to be part of something you know, part of that kind of togetherness, I suppose. So for me, it all comes down how we think, how we feel, how we feel about ourselves and how we see our purpose in the world. That really is the starting point for building a society where we are all actually looking after each other and we look after nature as well. We look after everything. That's lovely. It's a really good reason. Yeah, I <laughs> well, sometimes I think, am I being too simplistic here? But I actually don't <gasps> think I am. I think, you know, how we think, how we feel dictates our behaviours and our actions. And so we tend to focus on, we look at the, the problems that are around us in the world and we say, right, we have to fix that problem. And, and so we start kind of on the outside. But what we need to do is kind of come back and retrace that because every problem really that's there comes from the cumulative effect of lots of different people's actions or inaction for a particular reason. <laughs> so if we can just get that foundation right, a lot of those things come from fear, come from anxiety, a place of fear, like I'm not enough, I haven't got enough, I need more to make myself feel safe and secure and I need to therefore put other people down or I want to judge people because I'm fearful or I don't have that self-esteem and confidence, don't feel safe. So I think, you know, building on those really basic human needs of feeling listened to, feeling heard, feeling valued, feeling safe, feeling connected. To me, if we get those things right, then actually we won't have those kind of secondary consequences that come if we don't get it right. Yeah. In your experience have you come across the concept of bibliotherapy before and what are your thoughts on that idea of sort of prescribing literature 
So I haven't come across the word bibliotherapy before, but I absolutely love it. And I did, I can work out probably from a medical training, you know, in terms of biblio, meaning book (laughs) in Latin, that obviously it's sort of therapy, uh, ways to kind of heal through reading and through literature. So exactly it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I haven't come across that particular word, but I've definitely come across the idea of obviously um, reading and literature as a, as a form of well-being, as, as something which is helpful for people to express their feelings, understand themselves and understand the world a little bit more. And I think, I think it's a great term because actually, I mean, for some of us, we, we almost know by common sense and by how we feel that books and reading and literature help us and the arts help us. So theatre, cinema, you know, whatever kind of arts we're talking about really do make us feel good. But obviously there is obviously a, a section of society as well that needs to have that sort of formalised or, or perhaps can only hear that message if it's formalised, if it's pre- presented to them in a certain way. And again, we all take in information differently. We take in messaging differently. So that's really valid. And I think the more the more sort of research, the more studies we do around this, the more evidence we grow, the better, because evidence-based things are always obviously really helpful when we're talking about rolling out policies and activities uh, generally across the healthcare system when it's really stretched but I you know I think in 2020 the fact that we've had so many things sort of stopped like live theatre music you know arts events book signings perhaps or literature festivals I think because they've been stopped we really have had it sort of shoved in our faces very obviously um the fact that we really miss those things and so we're almost sort of being asked to remember just how important they are for all of us for all of our emotional well-being and our mental health and what what we actually use them for but perhaps we weren't even aware that we were using them for that purpose before this happened in your practice as a gp do you ever find yourself recommending books to people or sort of it just in your day-to-day life recommending books to people without really thinking why you're doing it, but sort of accidental bibliotherapy prescribing? Mm, That's really interesting. That's a great question. I think we all do that to a degree without realising it, because again, we'll be taken by a particular book and we won't necessarily even stop and reflect why we enjoyed that book. We'll just say, oh, I really loved that. And then we'll kind of put it away and then we might tell one of our friends about it or rave about it. So yes, I often find myself recommending different books to friends or telling people about something that I loved or a story that I really, really enjoyed. I mean, I think sometimes also for some of my friends, I do find myself, if they're going through a particular challenge, perhaps recommending a book that I that is around that theme or that I think might really help them in terms of what they're worrying about or strategies that might help them. So I definitely do that. And I think that's also a great way of connecting people together as well. You know, in a year that's where it's been difficult to connect with people, I think connecting people, which is why people love book clubs, you know, through literature is really helpful. And once you have read the same book as well, I think you, and you discuss it, you chat about it, whether or not that's in a formal way or an informal way, you do also bond about that. And you, you know, for example, I'm thinking about a really silly silly kind of game that I play with you know my brothers and sisters sometimes you know like traditionally over Christmas where I think it's one of those games where you have to describe you pick up a card gives you a name or something you have to describe it without using the name 
and they have to guess it. And myself and my brother particularly, we were the two youngest in our family of four siblings. And we shared a lot of common interests in literature and musicals and opera and theatre and TV as well. So me and my brother, we can actually almost use code language to describe a book character or a reference really quickly because we had that bonding over shared literature or shared reading of stories, whereas my sisters wouldn't have a clue. (laughs) So it does bond people together for life, really, sometimes, doesn't it? Definitely. I love that. It's like a cheating, but not cheating. Just... (laughs) I love it. Like, and you win the game as well. So it's like an extra. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Have you noticed an increase in anxiety, stress, and sort of milder forms of depression in recent years? Yeah. I mean, I think particularly in the younger age group, even before the pandemic, there was, I was just noticing a lot more anxiety amongst that, amongst that age group, but also more generally, I think anxiety, whenever, I would cover it in broadcasting as a topic. We'd always get such a big response to anxiety. So I think that was already on the rise really before the pandemic. And obviously since that, it's obviously got a lot worse. So I think, you know, we're all being asked this year to sort of sit back and really take notice of our mental health, our emotional well-being, and to think, how am I really today? What's going on for me? And although it's been challenging, I think there has also been an opportunity for us to be a lot more authentic about our answers in that and really ask people how are you and actually mean it I think sometimes those words on occasion were getting a bit meaningless in that they would be used perhaps for a campaign for a day and then it would all be over this year I think there is an opportunity for us to actually really put meaning behind those words and I'm hoping that we won't forget how important that meaning is and that we'll take it forward, but we'll take it forward in a really meaningful way and in a way with action behind it and real intention behind it as well. Definitely. It's so important. I think whilst this year has been horrible, it has been so good for people to suddenly be kind of almost forced to evaluate that sense of well-being and the importance of well-being. Mm. I guess it's one of those sort of silver lining things. Yeah, and I, I, it's it's hard, isn't it, to look for silver linings? And and some days it's even harder to look for those. And again, that's okay. That's kind of you know that's normal. We can't and we shouldn't be expected to be positive all day, every day, and especially not this year. But I think if we can step back and not not be unrealistic, but be realistic and say this has been an absolutely dreadful year. This has been really hard because of this, this and this. But then to step back and say, okay, it has been hard, but what have I learned? What can I take from this? What can I take into the future about what I want now and who who I'm becoming and what I actually understand about myself? And I think, you know, if we had to go through this, which obviously all of us have had to, can we try to find some kind of, gold in that something that will be a life lesson for us that will stay with us because for me that's the only way of actually reframing it (laughs) it's a bit like if you have to go and do it you know really difficult exercise class or something you know really just to kind of put your all into it so you get them any kind of benefit you can out of that and I think although it sounds like a strange analogy if we can try to find some lessons that we've learned that will be useful in the future, but also have been useful in shaping who who we are now. 
because we're all very different people from when we, you know, who we were in January. We often think we're a static person and it's hard to see how we've changed. But this year, it's actually probably one of the easier years to stop and step back and say, wow, you know, how have I changed in this year? And how have I coped? How have I managed? And to be proud of that, because we don't often stop and say well done to ourselves. We just kind of carry on and carry on. And I think it's also really important to stop and say to yourself, you know, well done me for getting through all of this tough stuff because it has not been easy. Definitely. I I coach professionally horse riders. Oh, wow. And I make such a huge deal about celebrate the small things. Every goal that you achieve, celebrate it. Because horse people are so bad. (laughs) They achieve something and they instantly want to do better. Next, next. And they're like, (laughs) it was good, but I haven't done this yet. And you're like, no, 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 no. Celebrate the win, you know? Even if the win was just Mm. you got on your horse and it didn't shuffle about while you were trying to get on, which is the most annoying thing ever. (laughs) Celebrate it, you know? It's a progress. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think this year, you know, honestly, you know, some days for all of us, you know, myself included, it's just saying well done for just getting out of bed yeah. and having a shower and getting up and getting dressed and, you know, starting work, you know, is, is a really important thing to say well done for. You know, when I when I sort of say, you know, what have you learned about yourself? I'm not talking about grand things. I'm not talking about go and learn a language or go and this and go and that or whatever it is. I'm literally talking about have you learned that actually you're a really resilient, you're more resilient than you thought? Have you learned that actually you've got some great friends around you? Have you learned that, you know, if you're feeling a bit low, have you learned how to comfort yourself or have you learned how to ask for help from someone else? They're really, they're really simple, small things, but they are really powerful if we can recognize them and we can really say to ourselves, okay, I won't always get it right in the future, but I do know now that when I'm feeling a bit anxious, I can go for a walk and I feel a bit better. Or if I'm feeling a bit sad, I can allow myself to cry, not push it down, and I can feel a bit better. So these are all really basic things, but they actually allow us to trust ourselves more. And hopefully this year, given some time, we might look back and think, do you know what? I learned a lot about myself that year. And it may have well... It, very well diverted us down a completely different direction to the one that we were just kind of automatically going on. Yeah. Do you think that reading therapeutically may help with those sort of ideas around self-soothing and sort of reading for solace and just to improve your mood and your well-being? Definitely. Because again, you know, we're all, myself included, (laughs) we're all obsessed with phones and technology and screens and swiping and looking at our phones. And, you know, lots of times when I used to commute on the train into London for work, I would take my book and it would be in my, in my handbag. And, but would I read it? No, I'd be on my phone. So (laughs) I'm, I'm definitely not one to preach to anybody, but, but I think this, yeah, this is really helpful this year in terms of, you know, we haven't, we've been on screen so much and I'm grateful for screens because otherwise we wouldn't be able to connect, but we, we have wanted to get away from screens as well. And so actually, like you say, books are that place where we can get away from a screen that's used for work. We can get away from 
technology, we can read at our own pace. You know, our brains are not designed to be dealing with so much information all the time, constantly multitasking, you know, information overload. We can choose the pace we read at. We can choose the types of books we want to read, where we want to be taken to, if we're, if we're what kind of mood we're in as to what kind of book we might want to what I want to pick up, for example. So just how music is a great tool. So for example, if we're feeling a bit angry or frustrated, we can listen to really fast music and while we're running, for example. If we're, if we're sad, we can listen to a tune that's going to make help us cry or perhaps feel happier. Same with books. We can pick up a book or something to read that is is the thing we need in that moment. And so reading really is a daily tool and also it's a sign, you know, I think before the pandemic and maybe even now as well, reading sometimes was a sort of a, a sign of luxury, luxury of time and luxury of, oh, you're reading a book. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> you can't be that busy. But actually, why do we why do we make ourselves so busy that we cannot pick up a book? And have we got so kind of have we got completely lost around actually how we're spending our time and our choices around what we do with our time as well? Very true. And there's always poems, you know, if you don't have much time and you still want to read, you can go for a poem. Yes. <clears throat> Do you know, I love poems, actually. And I love, I also love listening to poetry, listening to people reading poetry. I mean, that's why I actually mentioned Maya Angelou, because I love her poetry. And there is a beautiful poem that she did, which is, I think it's supposed to be for children, but I read it all the time as an adult, because a lot of the things that are good for children are good for us as adults too. And that is life doesn't frighten me which is an absolutely beautiful poem and I think in times of sort of anxiety or worry you know just reading that poem reading her words and you know there are some clips of her actually you know reading her poetry out with lots of other verses which are just so beautiful actually for for Halloween this year I also remembered a, a poem that I used to I think I learned at school which was I think was it Walter de la Mer I think it was one of his sort of <laughs> spooky spooky poems and, and I, I listened to that being read on a clip on YouTube and it was just so evocative and I thought wow I actually really love I didn't like poetry much at school because I think it was probably the way it was taught but I'm really starting to actually open my mind now to poetry and really starting to enjoy it. Lovely final question if you could recommend any book to someone to improve their mental well-being or just make their mood a little bit better, what would it be? Mm. Oh, wow. Am I allowed to? <laughs> yes, <laughs> of so Two very different types. So one in terms of perhaps a book that gives you an idea about sort of mindfulness present moment is very much the power of now by Eckhart Tolle because that when I read that book when I was in my early 20s I think that kind of really changed my life in terms of how I how I experience things so I think that for me would just be a great sort of book to read for tools and, and for understanding and I think I think actually the the other book that I'd recommend it's a bit of a long one but I would actually recommend Lord of the Rings for lots of reasons in that there are so many characters in that book. They're all going through very different things, all going through different challenges and lots of themes in that book, which are the characters really go through pretty much 
a lot of the themes of life challenges that we all go through in different ways. So I think that in that book, you will find a character that you can resonate with and relate to for whatever you're going through in life. But also I think Lord of the Rings is all about, you know, good over evil, light over darkness, the journey, the difficulty, the challenges, the obstacles, the not knowing, the not understanding, but knowing intuitively that something needs to be done. And the very last scene, you know, when Frodo and Sam are going to drop the ring and, you know, that whole thing that Sam says to Frodo about, you know, I'll I'll carry you or let me carry the burden or something like that. I can't remember the exact words. I cannot, I cannot carry it for you, but I can carry you. Oh, yes. Even you saying that makes me <laughs> want to cry. So that to me is also a story of connection, friendship, hope, perseverance, determination, and, and, and sometimes also, you know, people who you wouldn't necessarily think of as the sort of true hero being actually the steadfast and the, and the person that really takes the burden holds it all together. So I think it's just such a beautiful book and it's peppered with beautiful bits of imagination and different worlds. So I, I think Lord of the Rings, definitely for me. Yeah. Worth it just for the Tom Bombadil moments. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, if anyone hasn't read it but has seen the films, you won't know who Tom Bombadil is. But, oh my goodness, for a character who's just so full of life yeah. and positivity, he yeah. is top-notch absolutely but you know i think i think lord of the rings for me is it really is like a story of sort of perseverance and in life life is always going to be challenging we can't control what happens outside of ourselves the only thing we can control is ourselves how we look after ourselves how we think how we feel how we then act and i think the main lesson in life i think that we're all learning this year, but even more so is that, yeah, we just, we just kind of carry on. We just keep going, keep carrying on and things will get better. And I think that hope, that message of hope and that message of persevering is really important. Fantastic. It's, that is such an important message as well. I'm going to put all of the authors and the books that you've mentioned into the show notes. So our listeners can find them give them a read or just research them and enjoy them. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to be part of the shelf healing experience. (laughs) Oh, it's been so lovely. I absolutely love it. Honestly, you've made me really think about the books that I read and why. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much for having me. It's been so lovely. Oh, how lovely. Thank you. What a lovely interview to start 2021 with. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with another Shelf Healing interview. Thanks to Nicholas Patrick for our music and to Lucas Montgomery for all of our transcripts. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Shelf Healing. Shelf Healing.